0: Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right. We ready for this? Are we awake? Are we doing okay? Are we good? Are we good? All right. Love you guys. Uh, Let's clap just once. Clap again. All right. We got to wake up. Nine o'clock is like dragging a little bit. So open your Bibles, Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, we're going to be Uh, In that incredible chapter. If you don't have a Bible, we have one in front of you, or you can turn on your phones. If you have our app, there's a Bible embedded in that. You can just pull up the Bible portion on that. Luke chapter 9. I'll ask you a few questions here. I don't know if you remember teaching your kids to ride a bike. Anybody still remember that? Where you're running behind them or with them, or maybe you're still doing it now? And what do kids do when they're riding the bike? Where do they look? Everywhere. Everywhere. They look at their feet. They look at you. They look behind you. They see a pretty flower. They look at that. They see a really cool cloud formation. They look at the cloud. They look everywhere but where they're going, right? And then what happens quite frequently? Yeah, they crash and they think they're going to die. Some almost do, um, but they absolutely Crash. Now, when you're, how many of you remember teaching your kids to drive? <laughs> drive. One of the most scary things ever to do for a parent. It requires an unbelievable amount of trust, not only in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but in your child to know where the brake is, right? And when you're teaching a child or, or a teenager to drive, where do they look? Everywhere. They're looking everywhere. They're noticing cool cars. They're noticing an intersection. They look at the clouds. They look at the flowers. They're looking around. And what do we say to them as parents? Pay attention. Pay attention. Look where you're going. Eyes on the road. Keep your eyes forward. That's one of the things that we do. When you're learning to ride a motorcycle and you're making sharp turns, you cannot make the turn unless you're looking. It's this crazy thing that happens. If you've ever ridden a motorcycle, you understand this. But when you're making a turn, you literally have to turn your head in the direction that you're going. If you don't, you will not be able to make the turn. In addition, if you have a passenger behind you and they, like my beautiful bride Sandy, shifts her weight because she's scared, that can cause you to potentially crash, right? It's important that you're all kind of working together, looking where you are going, it's unbelievably important. Where our gaze is, the Bible talks an awful lot about this. Where our gaze is, where our attention is, what we're looking at changes everything. We talk to our teenagers about this. If they're having troubles at school or troubles with grades or troubles with a teacher or troubles with friends, if they focus their attention on that, that becomes their world. If they focus on good Harmony, the things that the Bible tells us to focus on, those things that are pure and good and righteous and holy, that directs our body. What's interesting about this idea is that in Luke chapter 9, we have several events that are taking place. Jesus has sent out all of the apostles, he has fed 5,000 people. That's a big deal. Peter realizes that Jesus is the Christ. All of this is happening in Luke 9. Jesus predicts his death to his friends. The transfiguration takes place. Kind of a big deal. A young boy is healed. Jesus then predicts his death a second time. And then Jesus' friends, I don't ever recommend this, have an argument on who is the greatest. All of this is happening in Luke chapter 9. And then in verses 51 and 52, while being certainly tired and heavy-hearted, we read this unbelievable passage. Two very simple verses that changes the trajectory of where life is going. And it says this. When the days drew near for Jesus, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. All of this is going on, what is seemingly chaos, and we read that he set his face to go to Jerusalem, his focus, his attention. On April 1st, which we all know what holiday that is, right? Easter Easter and? Yes. (laughs) On April 1st, I appreciate the spiritualness over here. The (laughs) teens were immediately like Easter. So I appreciate that. Some of you immediately thought April Fool's and then Easter, so you can deal with that in your own heart. On April 1st, along with millions of Christ followers, we will dress up, we will take family pictures, some will be smiling, some will be in tears, we will eat some good food, we will enjoy some pretty decent company, we'll maybe find some Easter eggs and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. It's a moment that the Bible says, if it didn't happen, everything we're doing is for nothing. We're wasting our time. If this moment, if this journey never happened, we might as well go and have some breakfast somewhere. We might as well just skip out on everything that we're doing here. The day will be incredible. Potentially, it will be sunny. Potentially, it will be snowing, but it will be gorgeous. I've learned that about Colorado is, is you, you, you all will wear your Easter outfits, whether we have two feet of snow or it's 65 and sunny. Nevertheless, Easter will come. It will be a great day, and it will be an offering of a great day for everyone. This day of remembrance is, in fact, for everyone The life and death and resurrection, the Bible says, is for everyone. But here's the sad thing. Everyone, if you would, will not RSVP for what's offered. I don't mean coming to church. I don't mean you reach out to a friend and say, Hey, you want to come to Easter with me? And they say, I'll get back to you. And they never get back to you. What I'm talking about is the gift, the offering, the freedom that we sing about, that we read about, there will be many throughout this world who will blatantly reject the invite altogether. It will be a gorgeous day, but before we can enjoy the beauty of Easter, before we can even enjoy the weight and the darkness and the hope and the confusion of a Good Friday, there's a journey. There's a journey that, that, as Christ followers, we typically go on. There's a, there's a journey of preparation of our hearts and our minds and our bodies for what Easter is certainly promising to be. Historically, this journey has been referred to as a, as a single word, and that is Lent. How many of you have heard of the word Lent. How many of you have heard of the Lent, but you don't quite understand it? Like you, you've heard of it, you've heard people talk about it, but it's kind of what other people do, etc. For some of you, this might be new. For others, it's a reminder. For some of you, you've heard of it, but you don't quite understand that. So we're going to unpack that just a tiny bit. The season of Lent originated in the early centuries of church history. It was a time of, of preparing the heart for Easter, for remembering this time. The journey begins on Ash Wednesday and lasts until Holy Saturday, the Saturday right before Easter. And the last week of Lent is what we tend to refer to as Holy Week. That is the last week of this Lenten season which includes what is called Monday Thursday have you guys ever heard of Monday Thursday Monday Thursday which is commemorating the institution of the Lord's Supper we talked about the Lord's Supper or communion uh, the feast uh, a couple of different weeks ago that's what Monday Thursday represents and then Good Friday representing us remembering the crucifixion on the cross today this morning actually marks the 33rd day of of the Lenten season. It's a 40-day journey of preparing the heart. This is day 33. A lot of people will say, I'll give something up. I I will fast. Uh, Where's Jamie? Jamie's in here. Uh, Jamie's way in the back. Jamie's given up bread 33 days in a row. I I complimented him today that he's doing fairly well. Uh, for not having any bread for 33 days, but we will typically take something and remove it from our lives. Not that there's anything holy about that, but it causes us to then think of our journey, getting ready for Easter. It's reminiscent of Israel's 40 days wandering in the wilderness and Jesus's 40 days fasting in the wilderness. It's this Lenten season, not counting, Sundays, this forty-day journey, and Lent is traditionally observed by penitence. Anybody understand that word? Raise your hand. Okay, we're interacting here. Sacrificial giving, self-denial, and prayer, where we humble—we literally humble ourselves before God, without any pride, without any self. And we humble ourselves before him, coming in what the church has traditionally described as dust and ashes, and we confess. This is where it doesn't get very popular. We confess our failures, our needs, our fears, our hopes into the hands of God, who lived and died and rose again. The journey of Lent is a time... Of repentance. This is unbelievably important because typically what we do is we in the church tend to want to jump immediately to Easter. And, and that's all of us. Alex and I want to jump immediately to Easter because Easter's super fun. We want to plan the songs. We want to set up uh, where the flowers are all going to be. We want to pick the songs. We want to work on the sermon. Easter is super fun. But the journey to Easter is repentance. It's a hard idea and certainly not a very popular one. In fact, theologians for hundreds and hundreds of years have agreed they don't even like to talk about repentance. They'll acknowledge it. They'll work through it. They'll write about it. But repentance is not fun. Repentance digs deep. Repentance causes you and me to look in the mirror. And sometimes looking in the mirror isn't very fun. Perhaps that' why that's why we hear preaching sometimes that talks about our sin, but makes us feel sorry, but doesn't deal with our personal sin. We're sorry for the sin of creation, the the general sin. But when we have to dig deep and look at our sin, then it becomes difficult. We live in a therapeutic culture. We understand that. There's a remedy for everything. You can go to uh, uh, MedMD. Is it called MedMD? Yep, that too, WebMD. Um, thank you, Christy. Uh, you, you can go to several different sites and, and Google your symptoms and realize that the internet tells you you're dying, right? Or you have a sore throat. One or the two. It's, it's usually not in between you're dead tomorrow or you have a sore throat. We we, can, we're, we live in this therapeutic remedy fix-me-now culture. And among us, sin isn't something that we can cure. Sin isn't something that we can jump on the internet and Google our symptoms and, and have a cure. It's not something that we can run to uh, Walgreens or, or our local pharmacy and get something that, that'll take away the pain like a, like a headache or a toothache. It doesn't work that way. I had a conversation with someone this week about just the the pain of sin. And this person wanted it taken away, the pain of sin. And I just said, it, you can't. You can't take away the pain of sin. There isn't any mantra. There isn't any chant. There isn't any song. There isn't anything you can read that can take away the pain of sin outside of Jesus Christ. He is the only thing that can take away the pain. And even that, the cross takes away the pain, the the final say of sin. But even that, the pain of sin will not be gone until Jesus comes again. It's something that we just have to learn to wrestle with and live with and often we don't like that. The goal for a lot of us at times is not to draw closer to God with our sin but to make us feel free and and pain-free so that we can enjoy ourselves. We may even see repentance as morbid, as pointlessly depressing, But to believe that anything wrong in us can just be fixed. Anything wrong in our kids can just be fixed. Anything in our world, in our country, in our culture that can just be fixed is naive at best. But that's not the true story. The truth of the story is love has always thought better of us. Love in Christ has always thought better of you. Christ has always thought better of you. In the creation of the womb and you being placed in it, God, the maker of all things, has always thought better of you than what we think of. Our parents dreamed that we would become exemplary people. Some of you, they dream that you would be a doctor. Some of you, they dream that you would be brave and distinguished. But here's the reality. God expects even more. His view of you, His expectations of you, His idea of you is beyond your wildest imagination. But not the way you think. His view of you is something that is not of this world. His view of you has nothing to do with your job. It has nothing to do with you being a mom. It has nothing to do with you being a good neighbor or a great dad or even a great son or daughter. His view of you is not of this world. His view of you is Easter. His view of you is the resurrection of your heart. His view of you is what you were created for and who you were created for. Lent is a time when we renew our hope for glory. Glory, not because of a March Madness win, not because of a Super Bowl win, not because of a performance, but glory that is not of something that we can grasp. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face on that which was not of this world something that was beyond comprehension. Not only of of the people around that were on the periphery, but even his best friends, even the apostles, the disciples that were standing in his midst. It was beyond their ability to understand. And the look on a face of a friend is worth noting. Sometimes if you look at someone who you deeply love, you can see their soul you look at the face of your son or daughter or your spouse or a dear friend and you're having a conversation and all the surfacey stuff is gone and it's almost as if you can see their soul. Maybe worry, maybe sadness, maybe disapproval. And if we care, we will ask regarding that look on the face. If you love that person, you will not see a look and disregard it. You will inquire further into the heart of that loved one. In our text, we need to look at the face of Christ as he turns and faces Jerusalem. He wants us to look at his face. He wants us to look on the journey that he is about to take and that he invites us to take with him. This can't be rushed. It cannot be fast-forwarded. You cannot skip a chapter. It's not Netflix. Easter, the story, the journey is not binge-watching. It's old school. You gotta sit through the commercials. You gotta wait till the next week. You've got to put in the time, or you miss it. Jesus' face is expressing something very important, and Luke wants us to notice it. The New Testament translation describes it in this way: Jesus steadfastly set his face, some of your translations will say. Or Jesus resolutely took to the road or he gathered up courage and steeled himself for the journey of Jerusalem. There's so many different ways that, it, that this is described. And the question is, what does this, quote, steely look define? What does it determine in Jesus? Jesus has just told his disciples, look at me. The son of man, he said, is going to be delivered over to human hands. He Jesus wanted them to know about the suffering that awaited him. The suffering that he had to endure for your sake and for mine. Jesus' steadfast face as he turned to Jerusalem was on the cross. It was not for the triumphant entry. We'll get to that. It was not for the great meals. We'll get to that. It was not for the intimacy with him and his best friends. We'll get to that. And it was not for the beautiful, flowery Easter morning. We'll get to that. It was for the cross. And he knew what was coming. And in this season, we are invited to join Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem. To look upon the face and remember. The journey for Jesus demands that we take it slowly. It's kind of like spring. Does any, is, is spring anybody's favorite season? A few of you? Spring is something that doesn't just come. Like uh, winter comes sometimes overnight. 80 degrees, next day snow, right? That happens in Colorado. Spring takes its time. You begin to see a tiny bud in the ground and it grows and grows and grows and you watch it and you watch it. Trees begin to have little buds on their branches and and they don't just immediately get leaves. It takes time. And the journey with Jesus demands that we take it slow. Lent calls us to what John Orberg calls the unhurried life the unhurried life. I shared with you that my New Year's resolution this this year was to try to not be so rushed, not be so hurried. And I think that's why my heart is so unbelievably pointed towards this passage that we cannot live in this hurried life. This journey leading to Easter begins right here right now some of you maybe you've been on that journey ahead for uh, a handful of days already for some of you you haven't even thought about Easter this morning is an invitation to two very simple quiet compelling words follow me our 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 lord at times is so unbelievably eloquent with so few words. Follow me. Go with me. And when we put ourselves in the story, the Bible then speaks of repentance often. The two common biblical words for it. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. They have very, very similar meanings. Both mean turning, turning around, turning away from our sin, turning back to God. It's this decisive image. You either change your direction or you don't. In the English, we tend to make it a little bit cloudy, but in the original, it's very, very definitive. It's a decisive action. You are or you are not. this is why repentance can be hard sometimes. It hurts. It hurts a whole lot less if we do it kind of or if we do it halfway or we do it a little bit but repentance absolutely hurts if we address it and Jesus, this is important, Jesus is always honest about the cost of following him. He does never hide it and we should never hide it from our kids. Mm -hmm. It costs you everything to follow Christ. He's not a hobby. He's not something else you do. You don't do 10 other things and follow Christ. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. It costs everything. Repenting is like turning around. C.S. Lewis once recalled his first arrival as a student in the Oxford train station. He set off for town, and unfortunately, he was heading in the wrong direction. Have any of you ever done that? You get on the wrong off-ramp or the wrong freeway? I know most of you men have never done that. Um, And C.S. Lewis is going in the wrong direction. And it wasn't until minutes later when he stopped and he turned around that he saw, quote, far away, never more beautiful since the fabled cluster of spires and towers. That is, he realized he was going in the wrong direction, stopped, turned around, and saw the beauty of actually where he's supposed to go. That's Easter. That's the Easter journey that you're invited to. The famous journey. The journey that leads to the crucifixion, to repentance, to self-denial, to actions. But it is never without love. It is never without forgiveness. It is never without peace. It is never without hope. It is never without looking forward, turning your face. It is never without the promise. It's never without uh, mercy. It's never without victory. Never, ever, ever without love. And we journey with Christ to Jerusalem, to this event, to the resurrection, to the beautiful Easter morning, but we're not there yet. There's a journey that needs to happen that you and I are invited to take part in. James Gertmanine's hymn powerfully captures the shadows and the journey in the dazzling light of Easter hope. In 1993, he's this beautiful hymn composer, and he wrote about this journey, and here's what he says. Throughout these Lenten days and nights, we turn to walk the inward way. We're meeting Christ, our guide and light. We live in hope till Easter day. And though the road is hard and steep, the Spirit ever calls us on through Calvary's dying dark and deep until we see the coming dawn. We're meeting Christ, our guide and light. We live in hope till Easter day. Friends, we do that. We live in hope until Easter day. But we have a journey to go on. We have a preparation of the heart so that Sunday becomes something different. So that Easter Sunday becomes different than any other Sunday. So that Easter Sunday becomes different than any other day of the week. It becomes something unbelievably uh, filled with celebration and gratitude and hope and encouragement and laughter and smiles and love and good feelings. But that only comes with the journey. That only comes with taking a step one day at a time. And Jesus understood this journey. He understood that much like we teach our kids, what you focus on is what's important to you. And Jesus turned his face to Jerusalem. Our invitation to you moving forward from now until this incredible Sunday morning is would you join us in turning your face to Jerusalem to allow God to to speak to you to allow him to convict you for you to bring your sin before him to receive that grace and that mercy would you do the hard work of Lent if you would as we prepare ourselves for the Super Bowl of the church and that is Easter Let's pray together. So, God, that's our hope. Our hope is that in the midst of the busyness of our lives, in the in the midst of uh, all the different demands that we have on us, um, the stresses, uh, the decisions that need to be made, uh, the conflicts, the bills that need to be paid, uh, our our schedules. Um, moving you name it that we would not lose sight of this unbelievable journey that we're invited to to join in so would you please come and do that would you would you help us turn our face to jerusalem so that we could stay focused on what's important so that we don't crash and that we enjoy the celebration that is to come. So thank you that there is a story, God. Thank you that it is true. Thank you that there is hope in it. And thank you that there are blessings that are new every single day. We lift you up in praise and worship with all of our hearts. Thank you for your goodness. Pray all these things in Christ's name.